This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat podcast. Now, here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the PowerCat Questions podcast. A little bit late this week because of, uh, we decided yesterday to delay. Honestly, Zach and I wanted to watch the news all day yesterday, but we hope everyone's doing well. Hope everyone is uh, handling uh, the national trauma a little bit, but um, we're not going to get into any of that. That's not why we're here. We are here to talk about Kansas State sports, sports in general, and Zach's cough. Those are the three things we're going to talk about today because I have a feeling Zach's cough will be the star of the show. I've got my mute button ready to go. Oh, the COVID. Yeah. It's so fun. So fun. Well, I'm glad you never got any serious, serious stuff from it. I still can't taste anything. It sucks. That's weird. I I just want to taste things like anything. Anything like, yeah, mm. like I just want to taste anything. I can kind of taste vinegar, like Tabasco sauce, like it stings my tongue, but <clears throat> that's about it. Okay, was that a little cough, folks? Uh, had to clear my throat. A major thing has happened to me to end 2020 and go into 2021. Um, I, I put TikTok on my phone. Now, I don't say that with any pride. It's kind of like admitting uh, that I pee myself. You know, I'm not proud of it. I'm just telling you. I'm just an open book. I have downloaded TikTok, and I watch TikTok once in a while. Really haven't seen much dancing, Zach. I was ready for obnoxious dancing, but um, <clears throat> as Zach can explain to you, the algorithm will start to zero in on your tastes. Um, and I am really, really getting big into the conspiracy stuff on there. Like like there's a guy that claims he's from the future, um, and makes predictions. Uh, not gonna lie. That's, I I had a feeling you'd make it to conspiracy TikTok fairly quickly. The, the guy that the, the TikTok trend that really disturbs me, um, is the guys that have a million followers, might be women too. I've noticed all guys, a million followers, and all they do is steal content from other places and sit, don't say a word, and just point upwards. Yep. To, to here's here's what's going on, um, you know, and that's all they do. It's just their face and they're pointing upwards at the stuff that is telling you what's really important. Now, look, uh, I would love to get by in life with doing minimal effort. But that is minimal effort. I mean, granted, they got to put it together on the back end. They got to put together the information, but to not even have anything that you say, you don't, and they don't even have an expression on their face. It's like they're made of stone and they 
point upwards. There's a guy, I can't remember his name, but he just kind of creeps me out. But his information is pretty interesting. I don't yeah. Know. I knew you'd I knew you'd make it to the conspiracies and the weird weird places on TikTok. My favorite is when like they peg your politics but then somehow it flips and you're completely opposite to what you are or or what you may want to like. And I think it's just told me that I just enjoy politics. It doesn't know. really matter. There was a purpose to this. Oh, I know what the purpose was. Zach, uh TikTok sent me uh, repeatedly the COVID taste um, resurrection. Yeah, the, the orange with brown sugar. They burnt, you burn orange peel, mash it up with brown sugar and something else, and then you drink it or eat it. Oh. Yeah, well, it's warm. The, Char yeah. the orange, mix it with brown sugar, eat it. I haven't tried it yet. I probably won't try it because I've read about it. I was like, is this real? And they're like, well, you can probably taste it, but like uh, the the thing about losing your taste with COVID, it's more about you lose like the flavors itself. You can taste sweet things, bitter things, salty things. You can taste that, but you can't taste the actual flavor. Like I had Qdoba the other day, couldn't really taste anything other than you know the, the occasional spice, you know heat on the tongue and mm. some salt. But People were pretty salty on Wednesday. Yeah. Could you taste that? I cannot taste <laughs> oh, that. Different thing. No. Are, but are, I, I feel like I can taste citrus. Like when I chew gum, gum is probably the thing that I can taste the most of. Hmm. It's weird. Fruity gum. Want me to, as you know, I like. Let me send over some dog poops. See if you can taste that. No. Okay. Be, he it, said it anything for, earlier. It was for science. It was for science. Okay. And we are down a crazy rabbit hole here. Uh, speaking of rabbit holes, uh, go to the fridge. I, you know, I, I don't know. It just sometimes the transitions don't work the way you hope. <laughs> Head to the fridge uh, and uh, buy liquor and beer and stuff. They're awesome. Tanner's in the high low. Uh, I'll be there soon. I'm going to find a way. I will find a way. I'll be there soon. I promise you. By the end of basketball season, Charlie at Tanner's, I will be in your bar watching a game. I'm just going to do it. I got to do it. We'll see. I mentioned for vacation, uh, but we still have uh, three more months of basketball season to go. So let's dive into your questions from Wabash Station. Or I could just sit here and talk about vacation destinations of which I'm dreaming. Zach, take it away. From Itambb, three and fifteen was the last was last year's conference record in basketball. Are we going to win more or not? More than three games. Uh, by the way, folks, Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, Ron Gilbert. <clears throat> I forgot to introduce us. Uh, I I'll be if they get to four, I'll be a little bit surprised. Six was my I'll be happy. That's where we're at right now with K State basketball. Winning one third of your conference games this season will make me happy. And I don't think they'll get there. <clears throat> I don't. I, I. I don't see where they're going to get three wins. Um. I. I think Iowa State will come into Manhattan pretty loaded up and ready to beat K State when that happens. They've already lost to TCU at home. I, I would guess that winning on Saturday with Oklahoma State coming to Manhattan would probably be crucial to getting to any win total beyond what they're at. And uh, we'll see. We'll see if uh, 
they can elevate their game as the season goes on. Uh, I thought their effort at Texas Tech was better. They, they were more efficient, more focused on what they can and should do, and it was a good sign. Um, they just uh, couldn't perpetuate anything, and they had spells where they couldn't score, which, you know, honestly, I don't know if that's because of this team being so young, Ryan Gilbert, but uh, that has been a unfortunate tendency of all Bruce Weber teams to go into scoring spells where they just don't run very good offense. If you look at last year's team, if they can win three games, I am a lot more – I think that this team here can win more than than three. You asked Mike McGurl Fitz in, in the press conference after that tech loss, and, you know, pretty much it's more fun to watch this team, um, you know, than last year. So there's a lot more potential. I think if you look around the Big 12, I mean, Iowa State's pretty bad. I know they've been banged up. Um but moving forward, I wouldn't be surprised if, if K-State picks up a win in Bramlage. Um, I mean, look at what happened against Texas Tech. Like you said, Fitz, they looked they looked okay. I mean, if Doug Sermons doesn't, you know, do what he does, K-State has a real chance to actually win that game. I'm not saying they would have won, but, you know, they showed a lot of fight. Um, you know, schools like, you know, look at last year, Baylor, you know, kind of put on cruise control midway through conference play. I'm not saying K-State's going to beat them, but – you know, I think that they're going to eclipse, I would say, four or five wins here um, in league play. Hope I'm right about that. But my main point here is just look at last year's team. They could win three games. This year's team's going to win more. Yeah, I think I agree with that. And just going back and, you know, thinking about that Texas Tech game, there are points in that game where you maybe you didn't think that K-State had a chance to win, but they were in the game. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you know, like whether they're going to win or not, at at the least there was some fight there and there was glimmers of hope at least for, you know, maybe later in February where this team maybe comes together a little bit more and they can win a game like that. So, you know, you know, maybe if that game's at home, you know, K-State can turn the, turn the page and win it. So, yeah, I think that, you know, three games is an easy benchmark right now. They're already, they've already got one. Yeah. It was against Iowa state and they only get them one more time. But I think that Tuesday's performance at the very least showed that this team is starting to turn the page a little bit and get better. Yep, it, it's all steps forward right now are welcome. Um, <clears throat> I thought they got good minutes out of Siri Lewis with the foul trouble with the other big men. Uh, I thought he, I just love his effort. He reminds me so much of Jamar Samuels, it cracks me up. Because when Jamar was a freshman, he too would have yelled and won in the face of a player. <laughs> um, so I, I'm excited to see Siri's upside as he learns to play basketball some more because he is a freak of an athlete. So it's um, – folks, I, I can – I've always said this. I will always tell you what I think. It gets me in trouble. You know, I, I thought Bruce Weber should have been fired after year five. Um, and, you know, people got on me for that after they started winning again and, you know, had the – conference championship season or whatever uh, yeah i i just believe these kids are really good i think this coaching staff did a remarkable job of piecing together a program after having to rebuild it again now look i'm with you i don't think it should have happened i don't think they should be in this position but they are and they're still coaching so i'm gonna put my faith in the kids <clears throat> i think these kids are good 
I think this team has real potential. I've been pretty clear about my thoughts on Davion Bradford. We'll get into that. Nigel Pack's legitimate. I see an upside for Surrey Lewis. I love Selton Miguel, and we finally saw him really kind of take over a little bit at Texas Tech. You know, we still haven't seen Luke Kasuki. We'll get there. I'm anxious. I want to know when he's back. Coach is kind of still he's, – he's telling us, Brian Gilbert, but he's not telling us. Could you please just set a date? It's kind of like you know what the date for prom is early in the semester. Could we have a date for our coming out party for Luke? That's all I want. I want to know when you think you'll be on the court and when we can start counting the three-pointers. I'm incredibly optimistic about this team, about this group of players. And and I'll just say it this way. You know, if you want Weber gone at this point, that doesn't mean you can't pull for the players. I sense a real pushback with people that are dissatisfied with Bruce Weber, that if you say anything good about the players, they're annoyed by that. Don't be annoyed by the players on your team being promising because they may not be tied to this coaching staff. I'll just say that. that Maybe there is a change. But if the next coach can keep the core players, then everything happening this season will still have benefits down the road. Put your faith and hope in these players. Because this is a really likable bunch of guys. Maybe it's because we're not around them a lot. Maybe it's because we don't have press conferences where we get to meet them and, you know, we get some attitude off of them. Or they heard you said something maybe on Twitter about them and then they see you in the parking lot and kind of threaten you, yell at you and make you feel like maybe they're going to come after you. You know, that kind of guy. People are so down about K-State basketball that you can't say good things about kids and you see that all over social media, just everywhere. You know, I, I I put up the thing about Doug Sermons, and I imagine we'll get Is that one of the questions today, Zach? Yeah, we'll get to it. Yeah. We'll get to it. And one of the responses I got from that video is Fire Weber. What, what the hell does that have to do with anything said here? Now, maybe they're saying, which, which I kind of buy, that Bruce Weber allows himself to be pushed around by officials like this, that they... They're not scared of him. I think there's some substance to that. Um, But that's not what that was about at all. I mean, it just seemed so out of context, Fireweber. But that's where a lot of fans are right now. Nothing can be good. Nothing can have hope. Nothing can lead to a better future. We just have to hate everything right now. And so... Make sure you're, if you're really frustrated, direct the frustration in the right places. Because I'll I'll just point this out. Mike McGurl is busting his ass. Now, is there things about his game that needs to change? Yeah, maybe we'll get into that. Mike's taking too many bad shots, making some bad decisions. He's trying too hard to be the guy and try to carry the young guys. Step back from that and let the young guys find their way. Um, And the, the three sophomores... Really, we're only seeing anything out of one of them and Dejuan Gordon because the other two have been either injured. And I think Montavious, I'm going back to what I originally thought. 
Bruce Weber was so bleak at the start, and then he came back. I think there's something really bad going on that they're trying to see if he can play through. He can't. And now Antonio Gordon's got COVID, apparently. So, really, they're playing right now with two returning players, and Dejuan is busting his ass. He, too, still needs to define his game, but I am impressed that they competed at Texas Tech against a Chris Beard team and the defense that 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 brand of basketball presents them. They Once they got used to the full-court press, they handled it, and they did it with only eight players eligible for the game, and only two of them had Big 12 experience before this year. Guys, I, I know you don't want to find moral victories, and I'm not saying there's any moral victory found in losing close, but I do find hope. I do find that this brand of basketball is much more fun. And to get back to what you said, Gills, I asked Mike McGurl, you only won three games in the conference last year. Maybe the results will be the same this year. I don't know. But is this season more fun to be on the court? And he's, you know, I get his answer. He said, no, we're losing, period. That's not what I was after. This brand of basketball has to be more enjoyable to play because it's more enjoyable to watch. It's so much more fun to watch a K-State game this season. Because... <laughs> you good, Zach? <laughs> um, <laughs> Zach? Zach's struggling, folks. Sorry. Zach's struggling. Um, it uh, It's just so much more fun to watch this year because they, they have heart, they have spirit, and they make mistakes. They, they're not quite good enough, but... Man, uh, this these guys deserve the purple a lot more than other groups have in the past. Next question is from Jim Cat. Have the officials decided Bradford is a foul machine? I know he makes some freshman fouls being out of position sometimes, but he gets no benefit of the doubt. Can he outgrow the tag, or will the Big 12 officials always be looking more closely at him? Well, he gets his hands down too often. Um, you know, you see that, and that's an early habit when a guy bumps into you, you know, tries to post you up to get your hands on him. It's just kind of a reaction. You got to learn how to work around that. Um, subtly maybe use the forearm, uh, make sure you're using your hip. So yeah, there's, there's some truth about that though. I just think a lot of that was if you put together a group of officials that have a history of, hey, look at me calls. Hey, I'm going to be part of this game calls. It starts with Doug Sermons. It probably includes John Higgins, but uh, I think he's changed since the Kentucky incident. I said this on the boards. I think he's a little bit different official now. Less drama, less um, I'm going to make the big call. I don't care if it's right. This is what the drama needs right now. Um, I think he's backed off that. He still loves to go to the monitor. But uh, the third official, Ray Natilli, is kind of in that group, too. I would think Jerry Pollard's probably the third nightmare official in that scenario of, hey, look at me calls. Because that guy, that guy calls more technicals than Doug Sermons. You put those two guys on the court together, and uh, someone's going to foul out with five technicals. They love to call technicals. Because it makes them look powerful, feel powerful. So, yeah, go team. That's all I got. 
sermons, I mean, he's terrible. Don't, don't get me wrong. But overall, I think that, you know, a majority of the Big 12 officiating is, you know, fairly consistent. So once he learns, you know, what's called a foul and what's not called a foul, you know, compared to what he was used to in AAU in high school, I think the foul numbers will go down. I think it's, like you said, fits a matter of just kind of the fundamentals and putting your hands in the, in the wrong places at the wrong times. And, you know, of, of course, these officials are going to, you know, let him know who's boss. But at the same time, I, I think once he learns, numbers will go down. Yeah, there's there was a moment in that game on Tuesday when Doug Sermons was clearly out of control um, that I was ready for one of the greatest things I've ever witnessed in my life from a coach, and it was Jim Wooldridge. I covered a game at Northwestern years ago when we were traveling all every place, but mostly I wanted to go to Chicago for a weekend. Um, I covered a game in their crappy old older gym. I think they got something new now. It was basically a big steel building. Crazy. Big 10 venue. It looked like a giant, maybe like a really nice gym you'd see at Emporia State or something. You know what I mean? I think they're still in that. Oh, God. It's so brilliant. I, I don't think time. they're in anything that looks more than a high school gym. For whatever reason, K-State was playing on the road in a Big Ten venue with Big Ten refs. And of all the screw jobs I've seen in my life, there was nothing even comparable to what happened at K-State in that game. It was almost like the game was completely fixed and the officials were deciding the spread and everything. Jim Rolders melted down and walked onto the court during the game and went after an official. Not physically, but, you know, vocally just walking right at him, right right into the court. Not three feet in like some coaches do. He's at midcourt. At, you know, he's around where you jump center yelling at this guy uh, because he was being so crappy. I thought that was going to happen on Tuesday with Weber. I'm like, Bruce is getting pretty close to a meltdown. Now, I know a lot of people criticize him because he doesn't get technicals. He got one earlier this year. And, and for me, technicals serve a couple purposes. First, uh, you've lost your mind and you deserve a technical, which, you know, it's okay. That, that happens. Second is, and we've seen John Calipari do it with Kentucky. I got to send a message to my guys. I got your back. Quit worrying about the officials. That's my job. And if I have to go MF this guy up and down and get run out of this game and pull the Gene Hackman and Hoosiers and turn over my little notebook to Chris Lowry, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fight for you. If I feel like these officials have decided you're going to lose the game, what is the purpose of me sticking around for it? Let me make something out of this by getting thrown out and you understand, I got you, man. I'm fighting for you. I thought we were going to get to that point Tuesday, but nope, we didn't. Going off of that too, I mean – if you're a player and you see your coach do that, I think that would maybe a lot of fire inside of you and say, yeah, I want to win this game for my coach. You know, you know, bleep word, these refs, let's go win this game ourselves. So I, I totally agree with that, Fitz. Billy Tubbs, Whoa. grab Whoa. the mic. Don't throw stuff on the court, no matter how bad the officiating is. <laughs> uh, moving on from Adam K63. Does Doug Sermons have blackmail on those who choose to assign officials to games? This is the biggest mystery of Doug Sermons. 
Maybe he gets good ratings from certain, the right coaches. I don't know. But fans across the country despise him. And the, the problem with Doug Sermons is I don't think he's trying to screw anyone. I don't think he was trying to screw K-State in particular. It, that's not, that wasn't his goal at all. His goal is to make sure these young new players understand it's about him. He's Doug freaking Sermons. You should worship him and understand when you're on his court, he's the boss. He's the show. And if you don't believe me when I say that, look at everything he does. He's praised for being mechanically correct. Uh, and We've got some people that have officiating in their background. He's usually in the right place looking at the right thing. Not always. He has wandering eyes. He has called technicals from across the court when the guy that is in front of what's going on has decided to pass. But again, it's about me, 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 Doug Sermons at all times. So did he pop a couple quick tees that maybe the first one deserved? Hey, we don't do that here. I'm going to go over to the bench and tell Coach Weber and the players, none of that. None of the showboating. Going to go over here to Tech. None of the showboating. We're not putting up with it. We're going to have tees from here on out. That's what a good official does. But not Doug Sermons. Doug Sermons is like, oh, you kind of looked at the guy while yelling and one, which is showing me up. I should have called a foul. Bam, there's a foul, a technical foul on you. I'm Doug Sermons. He's out of control. And back to the point, I don't understand how this guy works Final Fours. I don't understand how he gets deep into NCAA tournaments. And I don't understand why the Big 12 retains him. He is trash. Complete and utter trash. And what he's doing by officiating this way is every new young official that comes through the ranks and works under him thinks that's the way it's done. And when they get to be big time, boom, there's a T. I learned that from Doug Sermons. That's why officiating's so bad. Officials aren't taught by some wise Yoda. They're taught by Doug Sermons and the guys that have been around the game for a long time. That's why officiating is so bad. They are taught to be the game, not just kind of work the game and officiate and improve the game. Doug disrupts games with his officiating. Cherry on top was Chris Beard going up to him after the game. The high five. five. (laughs) He knew who his best player was. Yep. 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 I mean, that's funny. Credit Chris Beard. He knows Doug Sermon's ego needs that. Doug, good game. You're a great official. Oh, you're the best. You're the best. Watch the guy count. Uh, when he counts a free throw, like, you know, you got 10 seconds. Yep. Look at how overdramatic he counts. What a what a weird dude he is. People swear he's a really nice guy off the court, and he might be. But I don't care what he is off the court. You know, I, I really don't. This is about his on-court persona and professionalism and it's time for people to really take a look at him you know not attack him personally like the Kentucky fans did with Higgins I mean that was just awful what he and his family and business went through hold him a cat someone needs to hold people accountable and that's one of my biggest frustrations the people that should be able to do it uh, coaches 
They can't do it. Bruce Weber didn't mean a freaking word he said after the game. Now, he did mean that we've talked to him about this. And I really regret not asking him a hypothetical. Should a good official counsel a young player one time before calling the technical? And maybe he has. Maybe he did it in an earlier game and I just missed it. But I don't think so. Doug Sermons has to make sure you know he's there. I think part of the problem with officiating is we see the same guys every, you know, three or four games. You know, there's not that many officials. And and John Higgins, if you want to take an example, John Higgins works every night. Mm-hmm. He doesn't take a night off. It doesn't matter if it's the West Coast Conference, if it's the Big 12, Conference USA, American, wherever he can find a game, John Higgins is going to be calling that game. You know, he did, I think he does more than 100 games a year, you know, whatever the, the almost maximum possible number is and it's not just john higgins it's a lot of these guys you know you can turn on espn and see doug servants on every night kip kissinger every night you know it's that's just kind of the culture of officiating right now there just aren't enough officials that are quality enough to go around i'm not saying that these guys are amazing but at the same time they're good enough to get games every night and guess what it prevents new officials so, you know, coming in, they may be less experienced. So what, what do you want? I guess, you know, do you want these guys, you know, that have a ton of experience, but you may not like them like Doug sermons making these calls, or do you want a nameless faceless guy who hasn't played anything coming in or, you know, hasn't called many games coming in and, and, you know, screwing up a call when it matters. So, you know, it's kind of, you know, two hands there, but you know that, but yeah, I, I think less in the in the long run. What would be good for officiating is less games yep. for these guys, yep. and less games would mean more people coming in, and eventually you're going to have a lot more experience to yep. go around. I mean, the fact of the matter is, we shouldn't know who the officials are, good, bad. If you know their names, there's a reason you know their names, and it's not because they made a, an amazing call, yep. you know. That one of the one of the things that went wrong with college basketball is when they real when people started realizing that the officials are listed on the stats post game, but then the media understood that they're listed on the pregame flip card or whatever. Everyone began to know who they were. Back in the day, you knew some officials' names. You knew Jim Bain, and if you're an old fart like me, you understand he was the original "look at me" kind of guy. Um, but, Steve Wilmer, yeah, Hightower. I, but see, Wilmer was a really good official, right? Wilmer was good. Hightower was bad. Hightower was bad, but I think in hindsight, if we put Hightower on the court now, we'd go, "That guy's great." That's how bad officiating's gotten. You know, and Zach pointed out perfectly. You know, think about if you travel for business. Can you imagine working till 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and uh, it'd be 9 o'clock this time in Lubbock, Texas? You don't leave work till 9. And then you go to your hotel, and you've got a 6 a.m. flight to take you to 
to Dallas, well, where you'll get on another flight to go to, to go Hartford, to go to Hartford, or someplace just or St. Mary's. You know, yeah, these these guys. You can watch a game on Big Monday and say, "Hey, there's John Higgins. He's on the East Coast," and then on Tuesday he's in the Big Twelve, and on Wednesday he's on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were just business traveling, traveling to you know do sales calls or any whatever it is. Would you be fresh? Would you be on top of your game? Because I know this. Flying takes the life out of me. I hate flying. It's just the whole thing's stressful. Um, You know, even with pre-check. Zach, I need to check to see if my pre-check's still good. It's been going for years. They've never made me renew. Even with pre-check, traveling sucks. You're not fresh. And oh, by the way, you just traveled. You didn't really get to your hotel till 5. Oh, the game tips off at 7. You got to check in your hotel. No time for a nap. Off you go. Right right over to the court. Get stretched out. Get loosened up. Get your fancy, you know, officiating uniform on that you've worn for three nights in a row. <laughs> I wonder how many they have. And go. You're not going to be good, man. You're just they, they work too often. They just work too often. And by working so often, they gobble up opportunity. And that means young officials don't get the experience that they need. And it just perpetuates itself over and over. We end up with lousy officials and young guys that don't work enough. And when they do work, they learn bad habits like Kip Kissinger, who I remember being a pretty good young official. And now he's kind of a, hey, look at me guy. And the same things happened to, I can't even think of his name now, the really skinny younger guy that had a horrible call. He's the one, I think, that Bruce got the tee against. He's just gone to trash. He was really good when he was brand new. I'm just, I'm rambling. Let's move on. From El Camino Cat, last question in the first half. Who is K-State's best Post player of the last 40 years, Vince. Of course he had asset. What's the um, post player? I need to know. Yeah, that's exactly is. it. Let's, defin- let's define what a post player is. Because some people don't seem to understand. What is the post? The post is that area basically right around the basket. It's now circled for the charging area. That's the low post. There's a high post, too. But... We're primarily talking about the post players. That 10-foot, 7-foot and in area around the basket where you play with your back to the basket, you post someone up, you do it on every possession. You come out, and most offenses, you set the high ball screen out front. You might even go out there to reverse the ball. That was pretty common in the the Huggins-Martin offenses, Underwood offenses. We don't see it quite as much as this. Usually it's a high ball screen, and then you roll off that screen, you go right back to the post and try to, what? Post up. That's the post. Now, you can be 6'7 and do that job. You can be 6'4. David Hoskins did that at times. 6'7, Jeremiah Massey. But those aren't really – those are players that play in the post. But if if – you want me to define the best true post player in the last 40 years? So since 1980? Jeez. <laughs> really? Am I going to have to say Les Craft? By statistics, probably probably Purvis Pasco. Maybe? I mean, Manny Dyes was, 
Was he the post? I don't. I think he played in there once in a while. But I can assure you this: Dean Wade was never in the post. Why do I have to explain that? He was a face-up on the outside shooting threes, stretch four. Now there used to be power forwards that would post up, but that's not really what how basketball is played anymore. Now, that's uncommon. West Virginia is still doing it because uh, Bob. Bob Huggins used to coach with Peach Baskets, so he's still using, you know, true power forwards. But and that's really gone by the wayside. Now everyone uses stretch forwards because it's about the three point of the perimeter game, and that's what Dean Wade did. He he really was closer to a three than a five. The only time he ever went in and defended the post and tried to play in the post is when McCall Mawing got in horrible foul trouble and whoever Levi Stockard was sucking or, you know. <laughs> That's those those were the post players. Mac was the post the last three years. You can just start ticking through time. The last forty years, you wanna you wanna chop off the boozer par Steve Mitchell, who I wrongfully left out of my story. But if you want to talk about finished products, God, is it really Purvis Pasco? I mean bit it. Oh, good Lord. Jeremiah Massey was probably the most productive guy that played in the post. But in no basketball reality was he really a post. See, here's the problem. K-Staters don't know what a post player is because they don't have them. They don't have good examples. Someone listed off the five recent KU posts and left Azubuki off of it for some reason. I don't know why. But if you include him as six, those guys were all Pretty much better than what K-State's had. Pretty much. Not all. There was one. I can't remember who it was. Chinoweth, I hated. I didn't think he was very good. But anyhow, we don't have good examples. You don't know what a real post player does because K-State, for whatever reason, has never been able to recruit him. Somehow they got one. And you know what I heard the announcers say the other day? They raved about Davion Bradford, even though he was in foul trouble. Even though he uh, made some mistakes, how good is it to have a big man in the middle that when you throw him the ball, he'll catch it? Such a novel concept. What an idea. And then you know what he'll do? If you give him a pathway to the basket, he's going to dunk it. And one, one of his three baskets in a row to start the second half, he didn't have a good angle on the rim. Go back and look at how he perfectly laid it up, protecting the ball with his offhand. This kid has incredible base fundamentals with which to work. He's got good feet, good hands, runs the court, knows what he should and shouldn't do for the most part. I'm so optimistic about him, I can't even express it. And apparently I can't express it well enough for some people to understand. But I would take Davian Bradford right now, right now, over Purvis Pasco because of this. He's only played 11 college, 12 college basketball games, I guess now. And he's going to get better if he stays healthy. Better, better, and better. The K-State hasn't had a post player with this kind of skill set in the last 40 years. And that's my final answer. That's it for the first half. That was a lot of me. 
There's going to be more of me, and Gills and Zach are here too. And so are my dogs, who are being remarkably good for this podcast. Huh. The PowerCat Podcast will be right back. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We now send it back to the PowerCat Podcast. Welcome back to the PowerCat Questions Podcast. Tim Fitzgerald, Ryan Gilbert, Zach Carlson, back to the MC duties for basketball questions. Live and in person, well, while we record this, podcasts aren't live, from the new GPC Home Studio and Man Cave. I find myself now, like last night, I got to watching a show, and I'm in here. I'm not in our like TV room or in our living room upstairs. I'm in here just lounging on that studio couch, watching some TV. Oh, it's so good. So good. And hopefully soon you guys will be able to join me in here and do this in person. Soon. We're getting there. We'll get there, folks. We'll get there. Let's get back to your questions from Wabash Station. We're sponsored by The Fridge. And our segment sponsors are Tanners and Hilo. Please support local businesses, whether you're in Manhattan, Overland Park, Wichita, Dodge, or Estonia. Support your local businesses. Oh, sorry. I was Wake up, Zach! <laughs> I, I was like, um, He, he can't question. taste anything, and he's got COVID brain. I, I might. I very well might. Uh, from, from Adam K63, has it become more noticeable that the announcers are working remotely and they have lost interest in the games they are covering? It's horrible. It's just horrible. And I think... ESPN is going to have to send out a memo to everyone. Guys, remember to stay focused on the task at hand. Or maybe ESPN doesn't care. Maybe ESPN wants him to talk about the national championship because that promotes ESPN. Wants him to talk about the good teams that appear on ESPN. Maybe that's from above, but boy, they lose You're focus. exactly right. I, I, think that's, I think that's what it is. I mean, as long as you're talking about uh, – good teams that are going to get eyeballs and promoting, you know, events that are on ESPN, such as the playoff, you know, it's going to be fine. You know, and I think that's probably a directive from above. Hey, if your game doesn't seem that interesting to you or the viewers, try making it interesting by talking about other things that are better than what you are seeing. 
I think that's just kind of the sad reality of, of sports TV today. If the game is bad, you know, treat it like a baseball game where you can just kind of get away with talking about whatever you want to while you call the action here and there. Uh, the problem I have with it is I think Chucky Kempf is a really promising young play-by-play guy. You know, he's out of Northwest Missouri State. It's kind of remarkable. His aunt or someone works for ESPN, so he had a connection, got a break. But I think he's legitimately good. He was really not good at all on Tuesday night. Not good. Was he working with Robbie Hummel? Yeah. Who I think is generally good, too. Yeah, right. Those, those two guys. <laughs> should I, be a good uh, when should I, be a good announce team. When I saw that's who it was, I think Robbie's one of the best, newer, m- you know, more recent analysts that's come up. Great voice. What a voice. Um, and, and I think Chucky's really, really promising. Please don't form tragically bad habits from remote broadcasting. Just don't. Check yourself. Make sure you're staying as focused on the game. You can stay focused on the game and and sneak in a little bit about the national championship. But don't go on stretches where there's three possessions of the game where you don't even mention anything going on. Please don't do that anymore. It's awful. And it always seemed like when K-State was on the run, now we're going to talk about other stuff. Because we want to talk about tech because they're the team that people really will want to watch. I get it. I kind of get it, but I don't get it. Oh, said the guys doing remote podcasting. At least we're not trying to cover a game or call a game. Excuse me. Uh, you know, we talked about officiating in the first half and how the young guys aren't getting enough opportunities because the old guys are eating them up. And I feel the same way about announcing. Now, King McClure, I think it's really promising. But what game was that he did of K-State? Iowa State. Iowa State. He was awful. Aw, just awful. Again, they were remote. And it's hard to do that. I can't imagine sitting here in my – and I have a pretty good setup other than the fact that my internet provider at home stinks. You know, the best option I have is is bad. You know, it's it's just – it's better now. But – I couldn't do a game from here without fiber. You literally have to have fiber. I'm running so you're getting direct. I mean, the delay I would have from watching would just be awful. But um, I've got a pretty good setup here. I could I could be broadcasting literally from this microphone, and I've got to my right. I've got I'm signaling for everyone on the podcast. To my right, because it really because you know that really helps. I've got my full computer screen. I've got my 32-inch monitor to my right. I'm on my laptop. I've got a good setup. But, God, it would be so hard. And I'm pretty sure Daphne would bark. Do these people not have pets? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe they're just soulless. But more young announcers are needed. Brian Smoller should be able to work a game on ESPN. I mean, they really – I'm all for – Guys struggling because they're new and they're learning. I, I can take that. I can't take Dick Vitale. Oh, baby, I gotta talk about this for five minutes. Yeah. I mean, who who was it he was talking about moved in next door? Mick Jagger moved in down the street from me. I mean, what the hell are you talking about? There's a game going on, and Dick, you're working a big time game, and you're still going off. So that's 
again, same as officials. It's about me on the show. Struggling. It's just, oh, it's just horrible. From Who for KSU, Deuce Vaughn and Nigel Pack is the best freshman combination since who? Wow. I feel like we had this discussion wow. on the board a few months ago. Yep. And I got lit up for it. What did you say that you got lit up for? There was something about Tyler Lockett, if you remember that. Oh, that was what set that off? Yeah. Uh, but there's no one. Was it Tyler Lockett and Barry Brown was what people were saying? No, that's too early. I, I, can't. I can't. I can't think of. No, I don't think that was right because there was no. I don't think there was any basketball player in 2011 that was. Yeah, see, the problem is. An amazing you, freshman. If you go back to the overlap, we've. We as an institution have only been good at one sport at a time for the most part. So Beasley was what season? God, I can't. 07. That's I can't think of a I can't think of an old foot a football 07. Freshman. Was Colin Klein technically a freshman? Yeah, but he wasn't anything. No, no, he wouldn't have been. No, no, nope, that was six years. I counted too many numbers on my hand. I mean, yeah, I mean, Josh Freeman was a sophomore at that point. I, yeah, it wasn't Freeman. I mean, and I, no, I don't. You're right. I can't think of anything, but I'm horrible at this stuff. I, I don't under. I don't. My brain doesn't associate years with stuff. I. So I really have problems tracking that, but I can't think of it. I mean, there's there's a lot of promise here for both sports. There really is. The thread was the top-rated recruits in each class for, for football and basketball. Ah, uh, that's what it was. Yeah, that's, that's, and that's, that's a different answer because yeah. there might have been a four-star someone that ended up being trash. We're, we're good at that at K-State. Yeah. I mean, you see that happen. Ooh, we got a four-star. Like KU celebrating a five-star receiver who – may not even be academically eligible and can't stay committed to anyone because if you get them, there's a reason why they're available. You know? I mean, there's a reason why Kansas State got Chris Bogus as a left tackle because he, he wasn't a, he wasn't as good as his rating. Yeah. No, you're right. I, again, thank you for being optimistic, Hoove. I think these two are really promising for years to come. If they stay healthy and K-State can keep them. I guess Skylar Thompson and Xavier Sneed would have been in the same incoming class, I think, mm. at 16. But see, they, I mean. They didn't play yeah. as freshmen, you know, in the same year, like Skylar redshirted. So, you I have, mean, it's. You have to have such unique circumstances where both yeah. programs need true freshmen to be adding to the the team so early. Because even Darren Sproles didn't have the freshman season. Deuce Vaughn did. He got hurt. Yeah, that's what I was just. I'm, I literally just went to Google but Darren was, Sproles to pull up his Wikipedia. Who was he backing up? Josh Scobie? I can't remember. I'm I, again. My brain doesn't work this way. I mean, he only played six games yeah, in 2001. Hurt. He got hurt. But so yeah. So who was your basketball player to go with? You know, in 2001, is it Purvis Pasco? Is it some? I don't know. I don't even know who. K-State basketball was so bad at the time, it doesn't deserve us to go back and find somebody to pair with Darren Sproles and his half of a freshman year that he had in 2001. That's how bad K-State basketball was. But we did know from the get-go Darren was special, just like Deuce. From 
Claws out, balls out. Mm. Do you think we're done with high school recruits for 2021 in favor of transfers? I guess if the right guy fell down, I mean, Ryan Wallace is a better one to ask this, but answer this. But if the right guy popped up, yeah, but I think they are going to just focus on transfers. I think Kleiman doesn't want to say it out loud because he, he he totally Bill Snyder's. Not really lie, but I'm not telling you the <laughs> truth here. We're a developmental program, and we want to stick with that. And, oh, yeah, we got a defensive tackle from Charlotte and a linebacker from Utah State. I mean, yeah, well. They're gonna. They're, they want some more guys. There's no doubt. And the transfer portal, not high school. They want some experience on this upcoming team, and I think they're probably going to focus on one and done so they get the scholarship back. Just because they, this year was so weird, and we're seeing the, the portal impacted negatively all across college football. You know, Bruce Weber said something really interesting about basketball. Chris Beard is a really good GM. He he really works the portal. I'm like, yeah, why don't you? You know, if you admire that, why why didn't you go get someone out of the portal that's a senior to pair with Mike McGurl? Why is that scholarship open again? Why there wasn't anyone in the portal that could come in and help this team with experience? Even if it's a guy that was not going to play much, but maybe was going to go play more here, but was a really solid weight room practice locker room guy. So I, the portal is a valuable tool if you use it correctly. But if you're going to add the portal to pick up a Jonathan Alexander, who's already proclaiming that he's going to be disruptive at Charlotte, unbelievable. I'm going to go in there and change their locker room, too. I'm going to change their entire university culture. Okay, Jonathan. Good luck. I'll I'll say this. I saw this. I think it was a tweet on a company account. I meant to go bookmark it, and I forgot to do it. But someone, you know, I think it was someone in the network retweeted. It was a a high school coach saying, hey, I, you know, I was getting calls from, you know, college coaches, you know, all the time up until signing day. But, you know, ever since signing day, it's been all portal. Mm-hmm. The portal has completely destroyed the rest of the 2021 recruiting class, essentially. It's going to do and, 2022. Too. And he can't, you know, he can't get on the phone with a coach right now. They used to be calling all the time. Now, nothing. You know, if, if you didn't sign your letter of intent with an offer before, you know, during the early signing period, you're nothing right now as a high school recruit. Unfortunately, it is all portal right now. And like you said, Fitz, it's just just kind of the the circumstances of this year and how weird this year was. And now, now that the students are essentially going to be allowed to student athletes are going to be allowed to to have a one-time transfer where you don't have to sit out. I mean, it, it changes the game. So you know, it, it remains to be seen if these smaller recruiting classes, you know, with 14 guys becomes the norm. But if there's there's too many guys, you know, if there's enough legitimate talent in the pond, in the transfer portal for you to pull from, why not go after a, a guy that may be proven versus somebody you're going to have to develop? So it's, it's going to be a balancing act from here on out on, hey, you know, do we want somebody for, you know, five years from now or do we want somebody right now? And 
I mean, it's essentially free agency in college sports at this point, and coaches are going to have to become GMs. And, and you know, if you want to win in baseball, if you want to win in the NFL or the NBA, you have to manage your roster, and some of it's the draft, which is signing, you know, the young kids out of high school, and some of it is, you know, making trades, finding those free agents that are going to help you win and get you deep into the, into the playoffs. And that's what the transfer portal is. So now that there's essentially free agency, you, you almost have a free market here where you can determine, you know, your best outcome and how to build a roster. And now that you can actually pull experienced, legitimate college players into your program, why isn't that better than trying to, you know, develop somebody for two or three years from now? You know, there's, there's a balancing act that is brand new and, you know, it's annoying seeing how Clemson and Alabama and Ohio state and, you know, OU Notre Dame, whoever else makes the playoffs every year in football. I think that this is the first opportunity in a while where there's going to be a new coach, a new team, maybe a couple teams that, have incredible, you know, GM minds in their coaching staff and in their athletic departments that are able to find a way to make the playoffs managing these new rules and building a roster, you know, based on, yeah, you have your prospects, but also finding some veterans mm -hmm. to help your, your team become a playoff contender. Yeah. I almost wonder if it wouldn't be wise of a program You've got a recruiting coordinator. You've got guys that are in charge of high school and junior college recruiting. Not to have someone in charge of the portal. I mean, if you can get two guys that legitimately fit your culture and help your program a year out of the portal, if you could get a Chris Harper who didn't play at Oregon, now he came to Kansas State because he's from Wichita, but and then had a significant impact at Kansas State, you know, that's pre-portal, but that's the transfer that was happening before. It, it's, this isn't new. But now the players are going to have the one-time transfer where they can come in immediately and not have to redshirt. I would almost think it would be wise to get a scout in your office that all they do is, hey, look, these guys hit the portal today. I'm going to evaluate them as players. I'm going to write a report about each and every one of them if a, if I have anything to say. Maybe there's a you know, a backup quarterback that was a walk-on and nobody's ever heard of, and he's in the portal because he's going to Kennesaw State. You know, it doesn't really relate to your yeah. program. But to have someone in charge of the portal, that's what they do. And then they, they would probably have a better understanding. If you have a kid that goes into the portal or wants to go into the portal, you can say, well, here's the facts about the portal. If you want to, If you're looking to play Power 5, this, this right now, your current status is your best chance to play Power Five. The very best guy to hit the portal this year for Kansas State, Josh Youngblood, right? Rutgers, Power Five, but really, is it Power? I mean, they're getting better. Greg Shiano's the real deal, yeah. but that's that's the upside of going into the portal. That's the good one for him. Now you got the lower guys. You know, the Briley Moore to come up. Those are the ones that I think really can benefit. But I don't but, know. Portal management. That, that Vanderbilt just hired the director of football recruiting for 
to be their player personnel guy, basically. So I think this is going to be a trend. And, and probably having someone in charge of the portal would be very wise for a program such as Kansas State because you could make some big strides if you go find a Briley Moore consistently. Uh, Hunter Henry's okay. I mean, he's a, he's a depth chart guy, but but really find someone that maybe just really literally was a bad fit at his program, but he's a good kid. He's going to be good in the locker room. You, you cannot use the portal to bring in poison, just like you can't do it with junior college. You just can't do that. That's no. And, and maybe they'll really have an opportunity at your program to play. That'd be really smart. The school that moneyballs the portal is going to be the next winner. And you just won that topic with that reference. Last question of the podcast from Pain Train ninety five. Fitz, I would love to, I would love to have your opinion on Texas firing their coach from a total college sports viewpoint. Paying any coaching staff at any school twenty five million dollars to leave just seems so wrong from so many viewpoints. Another example is Bo Pelini getting fired for seven months of work and making seven million dollars. Help me understand. That's just insane. It's insane what's going on right now. I, I was stunned Texas did it. And I, I, I'm hearing, I guess it was a player revolt, basically. That's why it seemed odd that he won his last two games and the team looked like it was improving. And the players made it very clear. We're done. We're done with this dude. Remember when he was checking the color of your pee? Oh, that was fun. I miss those days. I mean, people make fun of Bill Snyder, but that is freaking weird. Here's your pee. Are you hydrated enough? Okay, I used the chart, too. I have to admit that I thought that was interesting. But it, it just kind of the micromanagement that probably drove the players crazy. Here's the problem, though, with Texas. They're getting too many five-star kids that are entitled. They're just attracting that. It's Texas. I'm five-star. I deserve to be there. I want to go there, and I don't want to earn my playing time. I don't. I'll work hard, but not too hard. I'm so and so, and I don't need to do that. I can get by on my talent, which is what Texas has done. It's what Texas athletics has been about. Yeah, it's weird. I, I I'm not a Tom Herman fan. Um, as I saw the program kind of develop, or not develop. I, I get why they wanted to make a move. I just thought it was so strange to win your last two games in the way he did and still fire him, but not instantaneously. They kind of didn't they wait like a week or so? Yeah. yeah. It, it was just weird. So it was clearly something, you know, every every coach has an exit. Not an exit interview, a postseason interview with their AD. And the AD probably talks to captains and anyone leaving. I wonder if the seniors that were departing the program said this program is going to suck until you get rid of Tom Herman, period, bye. Maybe that got Chris Del Conte's attention, the AD. Maybe really locked into his brain that something was really wrong here. I don't quite understand hiring who you hired. That was your home run. So a guy with a history and has already failed, and, oh, yeah, he, he coached under Nick Saban. Zach, if you could get a job with Nick Saban, you too could get a big paying contract and suck at it and get fired. 
That's my life goal now is to be so bad at something that pays a lot of money that I get paid to go away. Oh, my God, what a great gig that is. You were so bad at your job. Here's $7 million. See, my take on this, and I read this in a Reddit post, and I I agree with this comment to to a pretty big extent. This is – you know, when it comes to Texas football and these millions of dollars getting paid to these coaches, we're talking about the state of Texas. We're talking about tycoons. This is this is fun money. You know, this is their hobby. They don't have anything better else to spend their money on. These people that donate to to the University of Texas athletics program. These people do not have anything else better to do with their money. And guess what? All these Texas, you know, donors, they have a whole bunch of coworkers and people they know that also went to Texas A&M. And guess what Texas A&M is right now? You know, they just were number five in the college football playoff. Mm -hmm. And they have to hear all day how good Texas A&M is right now after moving to the SEC. So you can say whatever you want about the players and Tom Herman and, and whatnot. The fact of the matter is any other school, Tom Herman gets a pat on the back and he might get a raise and a contract extension. If Tom Herman did what he did this year at K-State, he gets his climate extension that he got this year. Hands down, no questions asked. Tom Herman would be at any school in the country, maybe outside of the SEC, but you want to put him in any other Big 12 school, ACC school, Big 10 school, Pac-12 school. Tom Herman gets a raise and extension after doing what he did this year. The only reason he's fired is because this is a, a tycoon's game in Texas. Whether it's Texas, Texas A&M, that's all that matters. It's, it's a giant pissing match between the donors and these people that have a whole bunch of money. And they have nothing else better to do with their money than to pay a college football coach to not coach their favorite team. So they might have a little bit more success than the other school a few miles down the road. That's what this is. You can say whatever you want about the players revolting, you know, whatever. At the end of the day, nothing's going to change you're still going to be pulling the same players. You're Texas. You can recruit whoever you want, and you're going to recruit the same types of kids. So until until the team wins games, it doesn't matter who the head coach is. The head coach could literally be a blob of a human being. It doesn't matter who the person is. I'm in. (laughs) I'm it can be a it can be a nameless, faceless. It can be Coach X. It doesn't matter who the coach is at Texas or even Texas A and M. If you're going eight and three or eight and four or nine and three or ten and two, if you're worse than the other school, your job is on the line because you didn't do enough to beat the other school. Yeah, because it's prideful. So somebody with a whole bunch more money than you do is going to pay you a lot of their money so you don't embarrass them in front of their friends. That's what this is. Gills, I'm, I'm curious for your opinion on this. Is Tom Herman a good head coach? And what I mean by that is if you were running Colorado State, 
Let's say Colorado State. Just a program, you know, it's group of five, good facilities for the level at which you're at. You can go get good players, but you're never going to sniff the five stars or the four stars. Do you think he'd be better in that type of situation than trying to manage the type of players he was able to get at at, uh, Texas? Yeah, I think that the same could be said for Charlie Strong or you know any Texas coach that you know didn't work out for. I think that's it's just a big problem. You get like you said, Fitz, those egos that come in and you know perhaps don't want to work as hard. But I, I, you know Tom Herman did fine. You guys said he's fine. You know they beat Colorado. He's what four and and in bowl games at Texas, and you know it's just this the standard at Texas is a little bit higher than anywhere else around the country, and unfortunately he's you know on the wrong end of that, but you know, he's, I think he did fine. You know, it's just, there's such a high standard that he just couldn't meet. You know, the greatest post. And I, I apologize <clears throat> if it's from Wabash or might even be from someone I know from Twitter. I'm stealing this. The absurdity of Texas football is that Shaka smart will soon be on his third head football coach. Shaka smart. What? who hasn't had good basketball teams until this year will be on his third football coach. What? Good for Shaka Smart having a good team this year. They're good. I hope he goes deep in the tournament. He's kind of he's a good he's a good coach and I think he deserves I think he deserved the time he got, but I think he definitely probably overstayed his welcome and it wouldn't have been unreasonable for Texas, even, even beyond Texas terms to get rid of him the last couple of years. It would have been, you know, any other school in the country. If he did what, you know, if you do what Shaka smart did, it's reasonable to fire him. There are two, two lessons to be learned from Shaka smart for Texas. One is sometimes you got to give the right guy enough time. Just, just it just takes a little more time once in a while. If you kind of have a feeling this is the guy, you got to go with it. Two, Shaka Smart spent his first years at Texas getting the players that he thought should that he could get at Texas, the really good ones, the the five stars that didn't want to work that much, that really maybe were overrated because as when they were fifteen, they were taller, bigger, faster, stronger, and just dominated. And then they committed when they were 16. And by that time, they're 18 and 19. People have caught up to them. That's, that's a lot of five-star basketball players, honestly. Um, and so there's a lot of guys that are four or five stars that, honestly, a three-star guy is probably a better player. I mean, K-State has some three-star guys that are playing better as freshmen than maybe some four stars, maybe even a five star. I don't know. So he spent a lot of time at Texas doing what he thought he should do because he's at Texas. Forgetting what got him there, forgetting the type of player and the type of brand of basketball he played at Virginia Commonwealth that worked so well, that made him a national name, that made him get the Texas job. Forget that. I'm at Texas. This is what I'm doing now because it's Texas. And now he's finally coming back around to play more of his brand of basketball and get some kids that maybe fit him better than those other kids. Still getting good players, but being more selective about the player, not just the skill set, the player. So it took him a while to realize that just because – uh, you're at Texas doesn't mean you have to bite the apple. You can go pick an orange. And Texas should learn 
that sometimes maybe let's stay the course and see what happens. And maybe neither Charlie Strong nor Tom Herman were the stay the course guys. But now you're on your third one in a row. You better hope Sark is a stay the course guy. You better pray that he's the guy that you can give some extra time to. But he's not. He's not, he's not gonna get he's he is a placeholder until one of these big guys comes available. Urban Meyer, mm-hmm. Jim Harbaugh, uh Pete Carroll. I, I mean I'm just pulling big coaches' names out, whether they want to come coach in college or at Texas ever again, you know, it, it, regardless. Steve Sarkeesian did I say that right? I don't even think I said that right. Um, he is a placeholder. I mean, I think he's worse than Charlie Strong as far as who you're going after. I mean, that's who you want. I mean, until Nick Saban becomes available, you know. I mean, there's there's only so many. You, you get rid of Tom Herman, a Texas guy, for crying out loud. You know, someone, if you give a little bit more time to, like you give Shaka Smart, you know, he becomes one of your own and you probably, you know, he probably sticks around like Mac Brown does. But until one of these big names, because it's Texas and they're a blue blood and that's who they need as their coach is a blue blood coach. Does, does he really fit that? I don't think so. So I give him three years at most. And if, you know, He's not, I don't think he's going to improve on what Tom Herman left, you know? So that's, what's frustrating to me seeing, you know, Texas fans and these boosters and, and what they do to their, their head coach and nothing's ever going to be good enough and nobody's ever going to get the time that they deserve and they need to, you know, create their own identity and brand of football and that's until one of these giant names comes up. And even then, if they're a giant name, it might not matter. Nobody is patient enough. And maybe, maybe it'll, maybe it will take Texas A&M falling down a lot of pegs before somebody at Texas gets some time, because that's all it's about beating your Texas A&M friends. Here's my prediction for the next hire at Texas. They're going to find that guy the Urban Meyer of this year. Maybe it'll be Nick Saban. Maybe he will, uh, in four years, he will have retired, three years, two years, whatever they give Sark. Maybe he's retired. And they're going to go to them and say, we're going to give you $20, $25 million a year. One year rolling over contracts. There'll be no buyout. You're going to get overpaid. You're going to get the buyout every year. But, Every year you coach, you're going to get paid $20 million. We're Texas, damn it. We have the money. Pete Carroll, you want to leave the Seahawks? How about $25 million a year to come here and coach? That's the absurdity that is in store for the future of Texas football if this hire doesn't work. And I wish I was that guy. I wish I could get paid to suck. I can suck, but not get paid. That's my problem, guys. I'm only good at one of those things. I'm good at not being good, but not enough to get paid a lot of money. I zoned out there for a minute, and I heard you say something that I'm not going to repeat. Okay. That's it for this podcast. Probably end it. Uh, Gil's left. Gil's is no longer with us. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. The poor guy just had to listen to us ramble. 
about Texas football. About Texas football. Yeah, I can't think of it. Oh, he just threw that. up the horns. Zach you know what bothers me about the horn is apparently the thumb goes in front of the two middle fingers. I always thought it went behind because it, it looks better behind. Oh, like it looks this. like a, it does look like a steer. That looks like yeah, but then you do. That's how they do it, and it looks stupid. Huh. Make sure you don't stick the thumb Bizarre. down so it looks like he has testicles because then it wouldn't be the longhorn. <laughs> and that sums up Texas athletics. We'll talk to you next week. Powercat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street Publishing. <laughs>